amazing grace, God, how we come to you thanking you for that amazing grace. Jesus, set us free. All the chains that we had, all the things that surrounded us, the sin that overwhelmed us, the guilt, the shame, all of those things, those chains are gone. Oh, Lord, forgive us for the times that we hold on to those chains. We hold on to those things instead of realizing the amazing grace that you've brought into our lives. Today, we thank you and praise you for that grace as we continue to worship you and praise your name. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, just before I release the kids, not yet, I want to thank the youth team. How cool was this, huh? To have the youth team lead us into worship. And the year is almost over, so these guys are almost done. But Brad, I just want to thank you too, man. I know you sit on the drums and probably nobody really knows you and recognizes you, but your investment in these teens over these past years, it, it's clear, Lord, that the Lord has used you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. I would like to call Sydney Shea Franz up. Not yet, guys. You get to stay here a while yet. I got these kids chomping at the bits to get out of here, so it's great. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we gave Laura a citation award, and then your mom said, Sydney Shea's done this as well, and so this is so amazing. And um, so, Sydney, you have, oh, microphone. I'll be right back. Wait there. Don't move. Everybody look at Sydney Shea. There you go. So, Sydney, um, do you know how many verses you've memorized? Well, there's 10 books to get this award, but there's even more books that you do as a younger kid. So there's about 540 total. Wow. Okay. And so I asked Laura, I'm going to ask you, out of all of them you've done, and I know this is such a hard question, but is there one that really sticks out for you or even a passage or anything like that? So in Psalm 90, it says, so teach us to number our days that we can gain a heart of wisdom. For me, studying all of these books leads me on that path and helps me focus on this gift that God has given us through Awana. Amen. Uh, that is such a great verse, yeah. This is exciting. I love it. And we're going to be talking about words today and the tongue. And just like you've said, as you hide your word, the word of God in your heart, it helps to guide you and to number your days right. So this is pretty, isn't this great? Yeah, all right. So, Lord God, I thank you for Sydney Shea, and I thank you that she has committed your word to her heart. And, Lord, there's an award for this, but even more is a heart that has been shaped by your word, a life that's shaped by your word. And we pray that this would continue to be a foundation in her life and an inspiration for us, Lord, to realize there's something great to be found in hiding your word in our hearts. We thank you. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. It's not that I'm keeping her award. It's that I have to do this in the second service as well. So 
those of you who think I just stole her award. Okay. Go. It's good for them to see because at this age is when they're so ready to receive the word of God. And as we talk about words today, I have really been, this is a passage we're looking at today. This is a significant passage, isn't it? It's one that we all know. It's in there. And it says that the tongue is this thing that we just have this hard time controlling. And we know that's true. I get to stand up here and teach about this as if I've got it all together. Karen can tell you that I absolutely do <laughs> not. And it's really interesting when you put together a message like this for the week, it's, it's amazing how many times during the week, because you're knee deep in it, that you're like, ugh. And so it would be really easy for us to walk away from here feeling beat up, like, man, we're slouches. But I want to encourage us to walk away from here today. Let the word of God wash over you. And there's going to be some things that God's going to put the finger on for you. There will be. That's good. That's good, because we want to go from this place changed, different than what we came in. But let's not let that Let's not let that be a heavy hand on us, okay? Because that heavy hand is not the hand of God if we allow it to draw us to a place of repentance. So God, as we open your word here today, as we look into your word for truth, thank you for this passage. Thank you for James. Thank you for the audience he wrote this to originally. Thank you for having this be the inspired word of God spoken to your people. Thank you that your word is living and active and able to do surgery on us, to cut away the stuff in our lives that shouldn't be there so that what should be there can thrive and reveal you. So as we look at this passage today, we pray that you'll speak into our lives, Lord. Speak as your children are listening. And we pray this in your name, amen. Amen, so we're in James chapter three, verses one through 12, and we're looking at this journey to completion. And we continue on this journey to completion, and this verse from James chapter one, verse four, is where we get the title for our series that we've been looking at. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James, as he heads into this letter, his heart and his desire is for us to get to a place where we can grow to completion. We can continue to come to know what God would have for our lives and continue to allow his power to come into our lives to shape us and to mold us. And James, in this letter, comes pretty often to this idea of the tongue. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious, this is found in James 1.26, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. So, we see here that for James, words are important. 
And, and you'll remember, I'm sure, because you're always riveted to every word I say, that when we did James 1, 26 and 27, we talked about the fact that there's three things in there that James is going to unpack throughout the rest of the letter. And one of those is the idea of the tongue and how important it is to bridle the tongue. And the week we were looking at this, we were looking at the idea of self-deception, okay? And how, as this journey to completion, we have to move past deceiving ourselves. And so in this verse, he says that if we don't bridle our tongue, we're deceiving ourselves into thinking that we're more than we are. And we're actually discrediting the faith that we say we have. And so as he then writes his letter, several times throughout the letter, he's going to come back to this idea about tongue. Remember, he talked about being quick to listen and slow to speak. And and he will do this throughout the letter. And today, he actually takes a big section to talk about what it means to tame the untamable. What we need to do as we continue on this journey to completion is learn how to tame that which is untamable. And today I'd like to read the entire passage that we're going to be looking at because it really does set up better in context. I don't have it on the screen, but you have your copy of God's word. James chapter three, verses one through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, and also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So again, we're looking at James, and I hope you're growing to love him in the way that I do, the way that he speaks, and the way that he talks, and the way that he brings truth into our lives, and the way that he can allow us to see things by using all these visuals and these these, um, metaphors and things. And so... He allows us to see that the journey to completion requires taming that which is untamable. And the first thing we're going to see as we look at this is that the tongue has great potential. 
your tongue. And when we say tongue, we need to understand that we're talking about words. And, and as we talk about words, those can be words that we speak. They can be words that we write. They can be words that we text. They can be words that we think. They can be words that we withhold. And so our tongue has this incredible potential, James tells us. And that potential is found in the word being used properly. And he starts out by saying, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That's a a verse, but it's an important verse. And it's a verse that, that I pray often. I ask that God would allow this verse to remind me of the sacredness of handling his truth. There's a power that comes from this, and every time you see someone who's standing and teaching, you need to realize that their words have a great potential. And that potential can either draw you closer to God, or they can move you farther away. And that's what's interesting. When you think of, and James here, of course, is speaking to teachers who were traveling at the time. At the time that James wrote this, there were a lot of people who would make their their living by going and teaching. And there were teachers who taught solely for the purpose of making money. And so they would use a message that people would be drawn to, but they would be using that money or that message to make money and to support themselves. And many times they wouldn't know the absolute truth of the message, rather they'd just know what they could say that would cause people to to believe what they wanted them to believe so that they could get money. And so they were false teachers that James is talking to here. And he's saying, many, many of you should presume that you could be a teacher because if you say, I'm a teacher, you can expect to be held to a higher standard. There is a stricter judgment that comes in that. Now, that's a significant statement. It is significant because there are a lot of teachers in our day who are teaching doctrines that are not true. Two in particular, one is a prosperity gospel. And you've heard these teachers who teach that you can have your best life right now when scripture clearly teaches that our best life is waiting for us when we are in the presence of God and away from the presence of sin. There are teachers who teach you that that grace is something that will just give you everything that you want. And, and while grace is amazing, and as we sing of it, the grace is to move away from the judgment of God. It's to live in the liberty of obedience and, and in the liberty of the love of God. And, and yet there's, there's struggles in this world. Has anybody come to know the Lord and then had every struggle in their life go away? The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that in the midst of the struggling of this world, Jesus will be right next to you and will walk right with you in the midst of every struggle that you experience. Progressive evangelicalism, big words, right? Well, that's another very popular teaching today. 
And it teaches that the word of God can't really be trusted, that it's not really the word of God, it's just some words about God, and so then you can basically design God in your own image, and there's no such thing as hell, and there's no such thing as an eternal punishment, and, and that we can't really know who God is, and that Jesus really didn't have to die on the cross. Is any of, these, is any of this uncomfortable for you? I pray it is. All of the things I just said should be very uncomfortable for you because that's a teaching that's not true. It's a false teaching that's gaining momentum because it allows us to create a God in our image. And a God created in our image is much more palatable to follow because then we can decide what his love looks like. We can decide what his judgment looks like. We can decide... Instead of seeking the word to determine who is God and rest in the truth of who he is. And so this teaching, you see, will experience a stricter judgment. But as I've been pondering that this week, I think there's all sorts of ways that we teach. Some of you teach in schools. And to realize that you're a teacher, your words have potential. No matter where you are, and if you speak in a way that you're seeking to teach someone to somebody, your words have a potential to draw people closer to the truth of who God is or farther away from the truth of who God is. And especially for those who claim the name of Christ, there will be a stricter judgment but for those who aren't as well, who are leading people away from God. And James says, and he acknowledges, we all stumble in many ways. And so he's, he's joining in, and clearly he's a teacher, and he's saying we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. So here we see this same thing, this perfect or completeness that we found in chapter one, verse 26, moving towards completion, bridling your whole body, okay? And so there's this idea of bridling your tongue, which allows you to grow in your completion. And then he uses these beautiful illustrations He talks about putting bits into the mouths of horses so that you can guide a horse and and the ships. And and so you think of this huge horses and and I don't know, anybody ride horses? Okay, I wish I did. It always looks like it'd be so much fun, but I remember when I rode one once and it's really not comfortable. You know, you can't get the recliner set just right on it and, you know, everything else. But, but it's amazing to me that the size and the muscles and, the, and the, the amazing awesomeness of a horse, when you put that bit in a horse's mouth, you can direct that horse. And, and, and so he says, that's, that's what the tongue is. There's this little piece in you, but it guides your body even. And then he says, look at the ship. Even though there's strong winds that are coming, a very small rudder will allow it to be directed according to the will of the pilot. Now there's a key piece. Jesus' tongue is a small member, but when the winds come at you, 
right? And maybe it's the same for you as it is for me. When things get really stressful and, and things come at me really hard, I have a lot harder time controlling my tongue. That same thing happened to you. If you get, if you get somebody who comes at you when you're at a high stress level, or I should reward that. When you have someone who comes along to encourage you when you're at a very high stress level, <laughs> it's harder to remember that that person's coming to encourage you, isn't it? And, and so that storm, when that wind comes, when, when the stress I'm under, when, and that can come from a whole bunch of different places, when that comes, I need to remember that if I'm guided by the, by the Lord, by his will, and if I allow him to direct my tongue, my rudder, I can withstand even in the midst of that storm. Because the tongue has an incredible potential to guide us. And it has a credible potential to make God known. So the journey to completion requires taming the untamable. The tongue has this great potential. And secondly, we're going to see that the tongue has this great power. It has this great power that's available as well. And that's found in verses five and five through eight. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. It's talking about the boasting tongue at the end of verse, um, at the beginning of verse five. It says the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? When you think about your tongue being set on fire by the, by the forces of hell itself, and you begin to think of what does this mean and what does it look like? How great a fire, or how great a forest is set ablaze, the tongue has great power, and it has a great destructive, fiery power. As I was preparing this week, and maybe for you, even in these few short moments that we've started looking at this text, and you think about the potential and the power that your tongue has, you can probably think of times in your life when you've been impacted by the tongue of another person. The words of another person have, have, have impacted you deeply. They have been destructive. They have burned you. And the ironic thing about it is sometimes those words that burn us so hard, the other person isn't even aware that their words did that. But also, can you think of times in your life when you were in a situation and your words burned somebody else and they were spoken in anger or in jest or in sarcasm or in vindictiveness and you 
that they're a fire. And you know that it, it's, it's a hard thing. One of the times in my life where my words were the most biting and the most hurtful that I was aware of, I remember watching the person just fold in front of me. And at that point in my life, because of where I was, I was satisfied with that, right? Because that was my objective. And then to come out of that and to realize that, that is when I wrote for myself, what happens to me is less important than how I handle what happens to me. Because if I'm not ready, when something happens to me, I will respond in a way that will, will seek to make me feel better, even if that does something destructive to the other person. Whereas if I'm looking and wanting and longing to be in a situation where I can build something, someone up, Ephesians 4, do not let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth, but only those which build each other up and are beneficial for those who are listening. As I seek to have the words of my mouth do that, I'm ready so that what happens to me isn't as important as how can I build that person up and how can I help. But see, this fire, this destructive, fiery power that the tongue has it's, it's a fire, and it's a world of unrighteousness, and then it says that the tongue is set among our members. That's that boasting piece. It, it's, it's appointed, among our, it's self-appointed to defend the rest of your body. Okay, how many times do you feel that you need to defend yourself because somebody said something against you, and, and your body goes like this, and then, boom, your tongue comes out. And it's appointed by your body to be the defender of your case and your person. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the entire course of life, and it's set on fire by hell. Tasher says the tongue represents and expresses the fallen world order in our bodies, perhaps more than any other organ. Okay, the tongue represents that fallen nature that we have within us. And it sets on fire the entire course of life. And this is a, an important concept. It's a Hellenistic concept uh, from a Greek mindset, but clearly James would have understood it's the wheel of life, if you will, and, and how this all involves together. And how many times have you seen people towards the end of their lives come and start saying things that negates everything else that they spoke of or that they lived for in their lives. And so your tongue has a dramatic impact on how your life is received and how it's viewed by others. And it's set on fire by hell. When my tongue got going on that person, that was a tongue that was set in fire by hell. Now this word for hell is Guyana. Guyana is used, I think it's 11 times in Scripture, uh, 12, 11 times by Jesus and once by James. 
Again, indicating that James is really influenced by Jesus' teaching. Gehenna talks about the Valley of Hinnom, which is outside Jerusalem, and it was a garbage heap. It was a place where Israelites in the Old Testament would actually, it was a place of constant burning. The fires constantly burned. It was a, it was a place where garbage was thrown, and there was constantly fire burning there. And... Israelites would actually go and sacrifice their babies there to Moloch and to offer them to a God of this world as opposed to the God of heaven. And so it became this place that was known as a place where worms crawled in and out, the maggots were there. It was an awful, disgusting place. And so what James is saying is that your tongue, when it's being used in destructive power, is set on fire by this burning garbage dump that Satan is controlling. And so as we look at our tongue and we look at our words, James goes on and says, every kind of beast and bird, reptile, sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And so, <clears throat> this is really encouraging, isn't it? And as, as we, but we need to, we need to, we need to say this stuff, right? As James writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's because we need to hear this stuff because we live self-deceived lives. We, lead as, we live our lives as though everyone else needs repentance, but we're okay. That, that we don't necessarily need to be forgiven because somehow the grace, but to realize this is who we are, that this tongue cannot be tamed. No one among people, when it says no human being, what it's basically saying, the, the translation of the original words is that no one among people can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. That word restless is the same word that James uses earlier that talks about unstable. When he talked about having a divided heart, it's unstable. And so the tongue is full of this unstable evil. And, and you can almost get the idea that it's just like this and just waiting to jump out. And it's full of deadly poison. All right? And it's what controls the whole body. So... What's a visual of that? How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. It's dandelion season. Some people have an amazing crop, don't they? It's amazing. You've blown a dandelion before. And the seeds go everywhere. Right? And it, it's beautiful. And it looks pretty. But imagine trying to go and pick up every one of those seeds. After you blow them and they blow all away and they catch the wind and they go throughout the whole field. Imagine going on a mission to try to pick up every one of those seeds that you blew away. That's your words. So your words head out and they're sown. 
And sometimes those words can be words that are not helpful. They're gossip, they're rumor, they're telling the story with a spin so that someone will take your side. They're, they're, they're all sorts of things and those seeds go out and they can never be brought back. They, they take root, which is why we have such a great crop of dandelions. And it's why we have such a great crop of tongues that don't necessarily encourage or build up. But if we're going to move to completion, we have to be able to tame the untamable. Now James says that there's no human that can tame the tongue. Amen. But we've been looking at James that the Holy Spirit has been placed inside of us. And so as the Holy Spirit comes in us, we have a new power. We are new creations. And we have, we have the power within us to be able to tame the tongue, to tame that which is untamable. And, and James points that out in his last point where he reveals the great paradox. The great paradox that's revealed and it's revealed in this passage, these, it says that with it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? It's the question, what type of seeds will you sow? I, lo- I love this passage, this verse. It, it brought to me the woman at the well in John chapter four. When I read this passage and I read these verses and I started thinking about it, I thought about the woman in John chapter four because James asks the question, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Remember when Jesus met the woman at the well and he said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You've got a spring inside of you. There's an old hymn, mostly a kid's hymn. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Made the lame to walk and the blind to see, opens prison doors, sets captive free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. And then the chorus, spring up a well within my soul. Spring up a well and make me whole. Spring up a well. And so it's this idea that within us, we have this spring that's in us. And James is saying, listen, there's this paradox that's revealed in the life of one who's come to know Jesus as their savior, is this paradox is you have this spring of living water. And you have the potential to use your tongue to speak living truth into people's lives. But the paradox is that that tongue that's driven by Guyana, by hell, has the potential to also bring destruction and to speak death into people's lives. And so the paradox is that out of the same mouth comes this amazing living truth and living vibrancy and then this destructive death. And so how do our words be used by God to speak life over people? 
instead of speaking death over people, in Scripture, we're told that Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, and he is interceding for us. He is is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, and Scripture tells us that Satan, somehow, some way, is before the throne of God, accusing us. And so our words, you see, we need to realize that our words are either accusing someone or interceding for that person. And James is saying, listen, there's no place, there's no place for the tongue of a person who has this living water flowing from them to be speaking accusations against others. This speaks to that piece of that I refer to as dignity. The people who we curse are made in the likeness of God. And because they bear the likeness of God, they are deserving dignity. They deserve to be treated with dignity. That's easy, isn't it? It is. If we allow God to work in our lives to see these people and to see the image of God that is born in them and to be able to speak into their lives from the overflow of the living water that is in us and to have those words become life for another person. In the same way, as I watched the words that I spoke destroy a person. I have seen the words that God has allowed me to speak bring life and hope into people who were hopeless when they saw me. And you've probably experienced that in your life as well, haven't you? where words that you've spoken, the word of God spoken, allowed you to speak life and hope into a person who desperately needed it at that moment in time. And when we're understanding that this tongue needs to be bridled, needs to be tamed, needs to be controlled, so that it can speak the truth of God into others' lives, we begin to see it differently. A pure heart, you see, leads to pure talk that flows from a pure life. A pure heart leads to pure talk that flows from a pure life. Warren Wiersbe, as he breaks down these verses, he says the first part talks about the tongue having the power to direct the second part, the power to destroy, and the third part, the power to delight. I love that. See, our tongue has great potential, has great power, but that power given over to God as we continue stumbling on this journey to completion allows us to speak life and delight into people's lives. So what? 
can your words be the words of God spoken into yourself and others this week? Because that self-talk's a big piece too. How destructive is your tongue to yourself? And how does that keep you from having a tongue that's helpful for others? Or another, so what? What types of seed will you sow? As your seeds go out, what type of seeds will you sow? Lord God, I thank you for this passage. And it's a tough passage. It's a hard passage, Lord. But it's a powerful passage. And Lord, you know each of our hearts. Those of us who've come to know you as Lord and Savior, you have placed within us this living water, this spring of life that flows from us. It allows us to use our words in such a powerful way. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we haven't, and encourage us in the moments ahead. For your glory and in your name I pray, amen. I have a video, so what, for you this week. You don't have a ton of things in common with God, but there is one thing. You speak. So does he. God spoke light into existence with his words. I wonder what you could speak into existence with your words this week. I wonder what kind of love you could speak into your marriage that feels like it's in neutral. I wonder what kind of courage you could speak into the heart of a child who's hurting. I wonder what kind of peace you could speak into your broken friendship. What kind of hope you could speak into your own weary soul. I want you to know that the most powerful words you're gonna speak this week is probably not gonna be on a stage or a conference call or closing the deal with a client that you want. The most powerful words you're gonna speak is probably just with one or two people listening, maybe zero. It's totally possible that the most powerful sentence you'll say this week is a thoughtful text message that you send to a friend who's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's the apology email that you finally get the courage to send it's the whispered prayers through tears in the middle of a dark night. Powerful words aren't just for preachers who stand behind pulpits. They're for parents who stand next to bunk beds. Speak life into your kids, for spouses who share hopes and dreams pillow talk not criticism for teenagers who stand up to bullies stand up for the uncool kids your tongue is so small but so powerful your tongue is telling a story of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, as we go into this week of work, witness, 
and worship. God bless.